Grace to you and peace from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Brittany Piper knows Christmas. She's the mother of three kids and the blogger at simplisticallyliving.com. And she had a post that talked about all of our big expectations for Christmas. But then she compared them to what actually happens. For example, she said, Expectation. You plan on making your gifts look really nice and appealing. Reality? Your gift wrapping job looks like something out of a horror film. Expectation. You want your house to look the most festive in the neighborhood for Christmas. Reality? You start decorating the outside of your house and realize it's far too much work, so you go inside and turn on Netflix instead. Expectation. You have grand hopes of getting great pictures of your kids opening their gifts this year. Reality? You can't get one smile out of your child because the only thing they're handing out are tears this Christmas. I bet you know the feeling. You know how easy it is to get all excited for Christmas. But you also know that it doesn't always turn out the way you want. Like maybe a while ago, Santa didn't follow through for you and you still haven't forgiven him. Or maybe that one relative brought up that one taboo topic again, even though you really wish they hadn't. Or maybe your travel plans don't go as smoothly as you hoped. Right? Whatever the case may be, you know all these stresses that come with Christmas. And there's no guarantee that this Christmas is going to be any different. Of course, we see this struggle with expectations in other parts of our lives, too. Think about your relationships. We all know what it's like when we expect certain things of people and they don't do it. Like... Is it really so hard to put the toilet seat down? Close it and flush. That's it. Or is it really so hard to move your dishes from the sink into the dishwasher? I mean, it's right there. Open the door and put them in. Or is it really so hard to get your toys off the floor? That's what a toy box is for, right? Or think about those early days of dating. All of those expectations you had then. You set this bar really high for this person and you wonder if they'd reach it. But then you quickly found out that they were as flawed and broken as you are. Right? Recently I heard a line that said, When I was dating, I said nice things. Like, hello, and you have beautiful eyes. Now that I'm married, I say things like, Your keys are on the table, and did you fart? <laughs> Reality quickly knocks down your expectations. So the question becomes, will you love them anyway, or do you dump them and try to find somebody else? In a way, this struggle with expectations is what's going on with John the Baptist here in this gospel reading. If you recall, last week we heard about him in the wilderness, calling people to repent. 
We heard how some people came and were baptized by him. We heard how he laid into the Pharisees and Sadducees for not repenting. We even heard how John said that there's one coming after him who would clear his threshing floor, gather wheat into his granary, and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is what John thought the Messiah was going to be like. Well, fast forward about eight chapters to the next reference to John, and things are not looking so good. John is now in prison, presumably before he's beheaded by Herod, and he's heard about what Jesus has been doing. Now, since his baptism in Matthew, Jesus has been tempted, preached the Sermon on the Mount, healed a number of people, and called people to follow him. But nowhere has there been any clearing of the threshing floor, gathering of the wheat, or burning of the chaff. So in other words, John had these really high expectations for what the Messiah was going to do. And even though he was the one who baptized Jesus, he's still not sure if Jesus is the one. So he sends some of his own disciples to ask Jesus, uh, are you the one who's to come? Or are we to wait for another? Or in other words, since Jesus isn't living up to John's expectations, should John stay in this relationship or should he move on? Well, of course, we all know that Jesus is the Messiah. But let's not discount John's confusion here. Because I think we've all been there at some point. Consider it this way. Maybe you started off super excited in the life of faith. Maybe you joined the church to be with other people who were excited about their faith too. But then you experienced conflict with people who called themselves Christians. Or even though they talked about welcoming you, their actions didn't really show it. Or maybe you saw some other form of hypocrisy. Right? Whatever it was, you got disillusioned. This is not what you thought discipleship was going to be. Your expectations of the church were clearly not met. Or maybe you've grown up in the church. Right? Maybe this is just a part of who you are. You know that it's made up of flawed and broken people like you. And you're okay with that. Because you know that you don't have to be perfect to be part of this community. Your faith is still a strong part of who you are. Even so, maybe your doctor gave you some diagnosis you didn't want to hear. Or maybe somebody broke your heart. Or maybe some tragedy happened in your life. In those times, maybe you caught yourself wondering... Why did this happen? Or where is God in this? Or why me? If God doesn't prevent suffering, then why bother? In other words, maybe God didn't live up to your expectations. And because of that, maybe this whole discipleship thing is just a great big waste of time. 
This is where John is. He's sitting in prison thinking that maybe he's wasted his entire life talking about this guy who's not really the Messiah after all. I mean, what good is a Messiah if he doesn't follow through the way you want it? If you've ever felt that way, though, then remember the difference between hype and hope. A few years ago, Brian Heiderdahl, the pastor of Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in West Hills, California, wrote an article for Living Lutheran called From Hype to Hope. And in it, he talked about the excitement surrounding a new upcoming movie. But because the expectations of it were so high, he said the movie would likely not live up to what people wanted. The story wouldn't go the way the fans wanted, and critics would be fast to point out all the flaws with it. He then wrote this. Hype is an expanding balloon, more air than there, and prone to pop when it becomes too inflated. This is equally true for movies and messiahs, politics and religion, first dates and family holidays. Hype sets us up for disappointment. Keep this in mind when Mary wraps God's tiny Christmas gift in thin shreds. God writes a script for the Messiah that no one sees coming, and the critics hate it. It is so outlandish that many can't believe this is the real story. And they continue to wait and clamor for a different one. But now, with the coming of Jesus, hype gives way to hope, which is grounded in God's mysterious faithful goodness and not in our wispy, wishful expectations. Easter is a plot twist that no one saw coming, even the disciples to whom Jesus leaked it in advance. The surprise ending is no ending at all, but rather a heart-pounding beginning. The cycle of inevitable violence is broken, love is vindicated, and even death is redeemed and recast as the doorway to life. Jesus is the Messiah because in him we find hope, even if not the hype. So when Jesus replied to John's disciples, he said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. So even though Jesus isn't doing what John thought he would do, he is still bringing healing and wholeness, and hope to people. And notice that last line again. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Or in other words, hey John, don't worry. You don't need to be offended by what I'm doing. 
you did not waste your life. Even in the midst of your doubts and dark times in prison, you are still blessed. You gave your time and your energy and your money and your resources to telling people about me. And that's always worth it. After those disciples leave to take this message back to John, Jesus then talks about John to the crowds. And he calls him a prophet. And he even says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus thinks that John the Baptist is the greatest person in the world. And yet even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And I have a feeling that Jesus thinks something similar about you, too. When you are all full of doubts, when you're facing unmet expectations, when Christmas doesn't turn out the way you want, or when you're wondering if following Jesus is a big waste of time, then just remember that Jesus still thinks you're pretty special. Plus, Jesus still changes lives, even when you're not sure what's going on. He still brings hope, even when you are confused. He still gives new life, even when reality doesn't match your expectations. That's because life, like Christmas, is not really about hype. It's about hope. And that hope is Jesus. So no matter what you think Christmas is going to be like this year, no matter if your gift wrapping job is a mess, or your house isn't decorated, or there are a bunch of tears on Christmas morning, one thing is still certain. Jesus is still the Savior. That's true no matter what happens. And that's a hope worthy of our excitement. So in the name of this one who is our hope in the world, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.